Good morning and welcome to the Fat Actor Club. Good morning, Ronnie. Good morning, Richard. The spell check is betraying Americanisation, is it? It's not just Americanisation, it's just like, you know, there's new words in the English language now and then, it's like they just don't understand it. Like, well, there are new words, i.e. neologisms, which are put into the Oxford English Dictionary every year. Mm. And there are words that come up in the media, like there's a big thing about cuckooing now. Cuckooing? Yeah, it was put into an episode of Happy Valley recently, and so suddenly there's all this flashing about the media about cuckooing, about how it should be made a criminal offence, blah, 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 blah. And often we get words that just evolve and end up in the dictionary. Mm. But with Americanizations, I mean, half the time I look at them and I think, you've done this deliberately just to be different. It's not insisting that sulfur is spelt with an F. It's not, it's a PH. And some of the pronunciations, aluminum, Aluminum. It's yeah, aluminium. Yeah, yeah. You're saying aluminum just to make it sound different. It's not actually a different spelling or anything. Well, I find that when I go to meetings as well, there's little buzzwords that come about. And I know it's probably the correct English, but it's like people are saying, of late. That's the correct English. I know it's correct, but like, it's not like people use that really normal. I mean, I don't blame <laughs> Americans for the way they speak English. It's somebody sat down a long time ago and decided we're going to make this a bit different. Mm-hmm. and faffed about with all the spellings. It's not day-to-day Americans that are in any way responsible for this being different. It's so evident that some of these things have been changed for the sake of it. And, and then you get things that make people question what they're writing, like practice. In English it's quite clear, practice the noun is with the, the C, with the verb is with an S. Mm. In American it's not like that. But it then causes all this confusion of, oh, how am I supposed to spell it then? And in publishing, if your book is being published in America, you've got to use American spelling, obviously. And what about, we do an inventory, don't we? Am I saying it wrong or what? Because I'm hearing it as, they said like, inventory. 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 Invent. Inventory. I mean, some words end up with different pronunciation because of accent. Mm. And there's a huge diversity of accents in the UK, and there's an even bigger diversity of accents in America, I suppose. Yeah. And there's also American states where there's a heavy Hispanic influence. Mm-hmm. So actually, pronunciation does evolve over time, and I suppose spelling does too, because over the course of the evolution of English, it's gone from being what would be unrecognisable to most English speakers now, medieval English, into what we speak today. Because medieval English looks like a foreign language, if you don't know what you're reading. I think we take our English grammar and punctuality a bit too seriously. Because when we get wiped out, and they start again. Not again, Ronnie. No, when we get wiped out. Yeah. Of course it's inevitable, but do we really want to look at that today? No. The inevitability of our doom and destruction. It's not doom and destruction. It's evolving, isn't it? It's just changing. And I do think the language thing is something that often gets raised though in recovery, because people are on the one hand confronted with this language of recovery. Yeah and language of treatment, and those two things are not the same. No. And then there's also the reading of the books. And there are people coming into recovery who've barely read a book because it's just not been their experience. There are those like me who've read too many books Mm. and think it's just an academic exercise. And we can all have barriers to the actual literature itself, going into AA or NA or wherever. And you hear the, oh, it's too hard, oh, I don't understand it. Well, that's why you need someone to explain it. Mm-hmm. And also, the actual language of recovery is a language of itself. It's a meta-language. Mm-hmm. And we have 
words that we use that are specific to recovery that have a specific meaning in recovery yeah and a different meaning outside. and it's like technical language isn't it mm. and sometimes you can use phrases that would just be seen as normal in a recovery environment and people look at you like what are you talking about mm. yeah just keep it in the day but there's a lot of it i mean if you were to write some kind of recovery dictionary to help people there'd be a whole dictionary of it i think well, funny you should say that because I've got this addiction of buying domains, and one of the yes, I know you have. One of the domains that I bought was a dictionary because, of course, you've got addict and you've got dictionary in there. A dictionary, and I thought that could be good for all the words which are recovery speech, etc. People to use if for when they first come in. Yeah, I see what you mean. But I've also got a few of us as well, like... Yes, I'm aware of the many domains you have purchased. Rehabilitation.com. Imagine that. Imagine somebody not buying that one. Well, it's funny, though, isn't it? It's like, way back when, wasn't it? That guy bought the rights to 21st Century Fox for a fiver. And then when it came to the turn of the century, he said, no, I've got the rights, you've got to buy them off me. That's why they changed it to Searchlight. Right, because this forward-thinking guy bought the rights before they secured them. So they went about changing the whole thing. Well, they changed it because otherwise they'd have had to pay him for the rights. They'd have had right. to buy them off him. That's all right, isn't it? Well, that's what he was counting on, wasn't it? I'm going to make millions out of this. Do you know what's a few millions to them? One guy got clever. Fair enough. Here you go. Here's a few million. I mean, they're making billions. The copywriting thing isn't so secure on the internet. It's merely a question of, you know, okay, I've got that domain, that's mine, mm. I own it. Whereas copyright is proof of ownership and all sorts of complicated hoo-ha about who owns a patent or who owns intellectual property or who owns their image rights or whatever. Yeah, 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 yeah. It's, it's all a bit too much, isn't it? I do wonder, you know, with the recovery language thing, I mean, obviously, people that don't want to, when it's, I can't means I won't, it's a refusal to engage with the process that means they won't use the language we all tend to use in that environment. Mm -hmm. Or they keep saying, I don't know what it means. Mm -hmm. It's creating barriers for yourself, isn't it? Yeah. Because actually, using a meta language within one particular place, it's like technical language anyway. Mm -hmm. It's like mechanics will talk in a certain way. Yeah. Doctors will talk in a certain way. Research scientists will talk in a certain way, depending on what they're researching. Mm -hmm. People that follow cricket talk in a certain way yeah, even that silly series on ITV in the afternoon tipping point mm. there's even a meta language for that <laughs> oh it's riding it's riding it's going yeah yeah yeah. <laughs> yeah you wouldn't hear it anywhere else I think it's important though that in terms of sustaining recovery that we do take on its language oh definitely yeah, because for me that's part of my reminding myself where I was and where I've got to a lot of help in recovery comes from the slogans and stuff, doesn't it? I mean, because they're repeated often. And they're so simple, like, keep coming back. That's and while they are cliches, they're still incredibly effective. Definitely. Because that so much hangs on them. Mm. Keep coming back means so much more in AA than it means anywhere else. Mm, of course. Keep coming back. I mean, when I first heard it, I just thought it was funny. It's not until I realised that, you know, a lot of people have stayed clean and sober because they kept going back to the meetings or kept going back to recovery or kept going back to whatever you want to put it down to but and just as a case in point i'm just gonna wipe this up on here now our most successful 
episodes. Let's just check that one right. Oh, Recovering Together is one of them, but I know what the most popular episode is. The most successful episode thus far is Hostages, Lies and Gaslighting. Really? Yeah. Well, gaslighting is pretty universal. Mm. Although the world thinks they understand gaslighting, but some of them don't because they're being gaslit while they're saying it. But hostages is a very, a very AA thing, isn't it? See, a lot of people talk Alcoholics about don't make friends, they take hostages. Oh, yeah. So, do you think it's to do with the name? I think it's partly the snappy title. The snappy title. I think. But like you said about the things around the rooms, it's something simple that people can grab onto. And it does. And just saying, like, keep it simple. It's like a slogan, isn't it? No, keep it simple is just one of my favourites, if I'm honest with you. It's like the way they try to use slogans during the COVID crisis. Mm. You know, when they were standing there every day to do those briefings and they kept coming up with these three word slogans. Yeah. In politics, it's massive. Just this slogan stuff, which is grab onto the slogan and forget actual facts or anything. Yeah, that's it, isn't it? Whereas in AA, the slogan is, or in NA, the slogan is, you can cling to this because this is easy to do. All you've got to do is that. Don't worry about overcomplicating it anymore. All you've actually got to do is keep things simple. All you've actually got to do is keep coming back to this meeting. And it is that simple, isn't it? It is easy. And you don't need to do anything else. You don't have to share. You don't have to read anything out. You don't have to make tea. You just have to keep coming. And eventually those things will start happening. Yeah, I struggle with sharing at the minute. I think I'm making too much of a big ordeal about it. What, staging it, as it were? Yeah. Thinking that you're supposed to say certain things? Well, whenever I'm going into a meeting and I'm thinking, oh, good God, and I hear people say, i just got to connect to this meeting because if I don't connect, I'll feel like shit when I leave. And I'm like, okay, so this sort of sounds like a good idea to connect, maybe. And then I'm like, well, what do I say? And I'm thinking about what to say, and I'm thinking how I'm saying I'm worried about what I say if I say I forget what I'm going to say. It wasn't like this before. I used to just be able to sit there, say where I'm at, and... It's a bit of a struggle at the minute, and I think I'm just building up this big... It's making me anxious. Are you feeling like you ought to be saying something significant now? Yeah, as that as Because well. you've been around a bit of time. There is definitely that, yeah. That you can't just blather on. You ought to be saying something helpful. You ought yeah. to be saying something useful. Definitely. And there's the danger, then, of comparing yourself to people. Think, oh, well, he always says something that seems to resonate with everyone. Why can't I do it? If I can't do it, I'm not going to open my mouth at all. Then I'll end up spending half an hour at the end talking to someone because really I wanted to share all along. <laughs> yeah, definitely that. I think it's in your head and you can sort yourself out, can't you? Yeah, then that's what's happening. It is, it's all in the head. But saying that though, I'm finding myself wrongly listening to people share and thinking, why are you sharing that when you really didn't, you don't want to share? I'm looking at them thinking they're sharing because they feel like they have to share. Mm. And... I'm listening to what comes out of the mouth, and this is all wrong, isn't it? Because I'm listening to them struggling to share, and then I wonder why I struggle to share. It doesn't sound that illogical to me, but this is another thing, isn't it? It's going into those slogans again. It's being present. Am I there? It's going to fluctuate over time what I contribute, isn't it? Yeah, of course. Am I actually present in what I'm doing? Am I actually engaged with what I'm hearing? Am I engaged with these other people, or am I just here for the sake of it? I think sometimes I feel like I'm sitting there, and then there's me, and then there's the meeting happening around me. Ah, and I'm like, mm. that's difficult. It's, oh, am I quite here at all? Am I quite part of this? Then I start going down this route of, have they misdiagnosed me in the mental health clinic? 
What do you mean? Like they're missing a diagnosis because then I hear about like attention deficit disorder and I think I can't concentrate and then I look back at when I read books and I read a book and I don't remember what I've read. I wouldn't worry massively about that. The danger of that is that it's a distraction. Yeah. And the danger of that is that you end up focusing your mind elsewhere and ultimately psychiatric professionals will always find decisions in the end and they'll always find something if it's there. But the whole ADHD thing is difficult. And I've met children who are severely ADHD and it surfaces when they're very young. Yeah. And because there's a lot of misunderstanding, I think there's a lot of people presenting themselves yeah. with ADHD yeah. who perhaps don't have it. Mm -hmm. And also there's people being told they've got ADHD who perhaps who don't have it. Haven't got it yeah. It's a kind of misunderstood condition, I think. And I can well understand that there is some muddy water and liminal space between alcoholism, addiction, ADHD and OCD because there's a crossover between the things. And while there is a crossover between the things, it means that some of it is relevant, some of it isn't. And I've always felt that the main thing is that if alcohol has nearly killed you, you need to focus on that and let the other stuff come over time. And that's what my mental health, um, my psychiatrist said. Because if you're not focused primarily on the booze, it doesn't matter what about anything else. And that's with all aspects of everything. Isn't yeah, it? Everything else becomes irrelevant because it, it all gets shot to shit and goes out the window if you have a drink. And I accept my diagnosis in a way that I didn't for a long time ago, mm. for a long time. However, when it comes to dealing with alcohol, I'm just dealing with alcohol because of the danger of what would happen if I were to forget it and if I were to drink. Because See, I've took something up from that. It's, good, it's quite good, isn't it? Because... There's no point in worrying about anything, not worrying, but worrying about being not diagnosed with something to then be diagnosed thinking it will help your life with the right medication, but you're right, the bottom line is to concentrate on your primary problem, which is the alcohol. Because if you don't deal with that, you can't deal with anything, and I mean, it was certainly my experience, because alcohol was in the way for a long time, Yeah. and there was no way of dealing with anything. And actually, you can't deal with anything at all. If you're drinking alcoholically, you, you can't and won't deal with anything at all until you stop. You yeah. won't deal with your financial situation. You won't deal with your familial situation. You won't deal with your emotional situation. You won't deal with your domestic situation, where you live, what you eat, who you associate with. You won't deal with anything on a day-to-day -day basis until you put the drink down. And then when it's down, then you've got a picture to look at. And then you have to trust other people sometimes, which I find kind of difficult when I'm dealing with professionals. And I think sometimes our heads play games with us. Oh, yeah. Of this, oh, have they missed something? Because, I mean, for me, Ronnie, your concentration issues are nothing compared to what they were. You know, two years ago, you couldn't concentrate for more than a minute and a half. <laughs> You certainly couldn't have come in and done this like we're doing this now. No, because it was ago. all read off paper, wasn't it? Well, why do you think I started like that? Mm. There were various reasons for that. Partly it was to give you the confidence to do it, but it was also to focus. One of the things I find, as I've been around long enough now to have seen it a few times, is that people in the initial months mm. are like seesaws and roundabouts at the same time. <laughs> and that's because of the damage that the drink and drugs has done to their brain chemistry. 
that they are flying about like will o' the wisp and mad ass flies. Well, when I look back at that conundrum I was in, when I left the treatment centre and I went into stage three, I've never known anything like it in all of my life. I did not know what was going on. I recall going into Birmingham City Centre, which even that looked strange to me. I was looking at them bike things that they charge up around the streets. I hadn't seen them. It's not where I've been. They're getting rid of those things, you know, because they haven't got a new contract for them. Right. I think, I think that's a good thing. I think. But saying that, though, I'm spotting more of them on the roads now where people yeah. are buying their own ones. And they're zipping around, and I seen one the other day with a, a woman with a child on the. Mm. She was having a fag while she was driving. <laughs> but yeah, it's the washing machine head they call it, don't they? When you come into the. You've been one of the typical examples I've seen, obviously, because we've spent enough time mm. together. In that, when people come into the initial treatment scenario, they can be absolutely bonkers, and yet nine months later, they're not. And that's where we have to acknowledge the damage that alcohol and drugs does to people's brains because if you can be nuts in a certain way when you come into treatment but not nuts in the same way in nine months time Mm -hmm. then it's got to be the removal of alcohol and drugs that causes you to get to that place in nine months time because you were like a gadfly when you were in treatment you would grab hold of something and go hell for leather on it and then suddenly change tap yeah and it's typical of an awful lot of people that I've seen particularly in that group that I take on a Friday mm-hmm. is I gradually see people coming down off the ceiling and then because I don't see that many people that often mm-hmm. I might not see someone again for three months and they've come down a bit further I might not see them for another six and they've come down a bit further Yeah, and well then when too. people sustain time mm-hmm. like you have like Neil has mm-hmm. it becomes quite clear where they would have been at if they'd never had the drink or drugs on them yeah. the damage is still there yeah, of course, it's always there. It's going to be there. I mean, and, and like you say, the washing machine head, I think you're always going to be prone to that. Yeah, definitely. definitely. Do you ever get that madness where you think you're going to buy something and then you work out whether you can afford it and then when you can't quite afford it, you start justifying that. Oh, no, no, but if I do this and I do that, then I just... And before you know it, you've got seven or eight different options in front of you of what you might buy and what the consequences might be in three months' time if you bought it. And I deal with these incredibly complicated formula. And then the best case scenario for me there is that I don't buy anything. If I do buy something, it will be the one that I didn't really want, I discover afterwards. The problem I have with that is, this is quite funny, isn't it? Because I've got this spending problem. I have this thing where I just go out and I spend and I don't care. And this week I was bought something using PayPal credit, but I get four months interest free. So you don't have to pay anything for four months. And the thing that I wanted to get from Argus wasn't in stock, and there was two things I wanted. So I bought the one that was in stock, which was more expensive than the one I was going to get, and then I bought the other one using the PayPal credit. So I've ended up with two. Yesterday I was thinking, tomorrow morning you're going to wake up like you'd waken up after a bender and spent loads of money, but not quite because you're still within the line. Well, definitely the bigger purchase, I used my vouchers which I get for volunteering so I thought yeah you're doing that volunteering but the thing is Ronnie you're not displaying anything utterly irrational because mm-hmm. irrational spending and I know this is one spending money I don't have mm-hmm. two spending every penny I've got which means that I get the bank blasting me for sending back direct debits oh, yeah. it happens in a rush 
it happens in a flash, I don't care, and the impact of course is ongoing, because doing that financially can actually have consequences for another year after doing it. Mm-hmm. And if you're not doing that, you don't need to worry. If you're buying things with vouchers and you're staging a purchase because you're thinking, well, I can do this over four months and this is a reasonable expense for something I want, mm-hmm. then your spending is not damaging and it's not damning. If I borrow money to somebody, I don't expect to get it back. I don't assume that. So what I have done is the money which I've purchased on this interest-free four-month thing, it's actually money that's owed to me anyway. And there is a good chance it will come back because it's a good friend. Well, but I wouldn't go into a blind panic. I mean, if you tell the shrink this, then they're going to say, no, that's within reason. Yeah, yeah. If it was without reason, you wouldn't know you were doing it. I think what can happen is that when we come into recovery, some of us, I'll speak for anyone, there's this sense of, oh my God, I've got rid of the booze and drugs. Why am I not completely on top of this, that, this? Because I can intellectually see it, mm-hmm. I can rationally see it. Yeah. Why am I still doing things that are slightly out of key and out of sync, and I know that I'm doing them? Because it strikes me that some of your spending is kind of knee-jerk. It's not no, damaging because you're not train-wrecking your bank account, yeah, so no. you don't actually need to worry. I'm it's not indicative of a gambling problem, it's no. not indicative of a psychological problem, really. No. But you're also thinking, but surely I should be able to manage better than this. When actually, a lot of the fucking earthlings out there do not manage any better than that. They just don't have the tag of recovering alcoholic. And the thing is, you can look at it the other way, can't you? You can say, well, obviously you are managing well, because you've obviously got the funds to purchase and the funds to pay it back. So if you wasn't managing your money well, you wouldn't have... You'd be going to get credit for something you you could never afford. Yeah. Yeah. I know that syndrome. I think it's also, let's think about this rationally, the number of times I hear from normies that they were just looking on Amazon before they knew it, they'd spent 240 quid. Yeah. And your approach to money is probably better than some of those normies because you're actually conscious of the fact that you could get it wrong. There are certain people that obsess about certain things, environment and having them. Like, I know someone who's got this thing about action figures and someone else who's got this thing about comics. They don't always spend in a rational and sensible way. And they will do the same thing that I've found myself doing, which is, well, if I bought that, but if I leave that until next month, then I can buy this. Mm. Even when it's something that I, I haven't even asked myself the question of, will I use it? And then I hear from a normie that they've done something similar. I don't tell them about the other approach I tend to have when I'm not very well. But I think we get more conscious of anything in the day-to-day that might be damaging to us. Yeah. And one of the things I see with the people who come into recovery and sustain it is that they're all trying to exert a rational approach to money because all of us were living in such a way whereby all our money went on booze and drugs. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And everything else was sacrificed in pursuit of the booze and the drugs. Mm. And therefore the people who really get their shit together early on in recovery Getting a handle on their finances is one of the first things they do. And getting their hands on their finances and actually thinking, right, oh, this is what I've got to pay for, and this is what... And it's the people that don't do that that often get messed up and relapsed. I don't know, I felt a little bit sneaky in that finance department because I know when I came into recovery, I think I had about 40 grand's worth of debt. Oh, yeah, I remember you saying. I knew that the debts would be statutory barred. 
after six years of non-payment and a yeah, new bankruptcy isn't it after six years no it's not bankruptcy it's not bankruptcy no it's just statutory bar they can't chase you anymore for it and it's written off your records oh, right. and that's it as long as you haven't made a payment no impact to your credit so i knew that if i could hold out another 12 months that this would all be written off but working a program <laughs> is telling me that and i actually spoken to somebody about it in the treatment center telling me that I ought to go bankrupt and do the honest thing and do it that way. And I didn't take that advice, because I was quite early in recovery, and I thought, no, I can get away with this. <laughs> no, I'm not going bankrupt. Um, I'm not going to face the real consequences of this at all. The spiritual window is, and I will find a way around this spiritual program and fit this in and make it fit into my spiritual I'll shoehorn program. it into my newfound zen calm and... And I thought, responsible head well actually if I do wait 12 months and it is by law written off then that isn't me doing anything wrong is it so am I in a position now within 12 months so how do I justify waiting 12 more months and I just did I just waited this 12 months and basically I put it down to my god of my understanding would not want me to go hungry and if I'm hungry and I'm not going to meetings because I can't afford the bus fare and this, that and the other, then I can't help others. So that's how I justify it. But someone, I told this someone in a meeting that says you can't bargain with your higher power. Yeah. One of the things I had to do, and I did when I'd left treatment, was I had to do with a water bill that I hadn't paid that they caught me up, caught mm. up with me from some time ago. I thought, well, I may as well pay it because I can't be doing with the hassle otherwise. Mm -hmm. And I then went into slightly stunned rabbit mode. But then within a few days, I was looking up every other possible place that I could have owed money. And I found an electric bill that I hadn't paid. And I voluntarily contacted those places. Yeah. And once I'd done that, I knew that I hadn't got anything outstanding. Now, fortunately, I wasn't talking about 40,000. Yeah. Because all of my debt and all of my misdemeanors were paid off when I managed to sell my house. In terms of what I owe elsewhere, I mean, I, I still owe my family money that I may never be able to pay back. Mm -hmm. But I try and pay back in other ways. Yeah, of course. Financially do something. But I see, stop taking money off my mum now. My mum offers me money all the time and I refuse it. And it that's was, almost like me paying It back. was a biggie for me, actually, facing those financial bits. Because even though it wasn't a huge amount of money, and it's something that I could easily have left alone, mm. I was really glad when I looked it up that it wasn't a huge can of worms. But it was a great responsibility reality check. I thought, I've actually done this. And that's, I bet you... Okay, it's cost me 232 quid, I think it was. But I've actually done it. And that's money that I had saved because I spent very little while I was in treatment. And now I know that everything's level playing field. And now I know that I can just live on what I've got. And I've done that, well sort of done that since not with complete success I'll be honest but it's a biggie just facing up to something like that and with regard to your 40 grand debt that's not just owing the waterboard 60 quid like I do uh, it's a mountain it's, it's, a mountain. it's also something that barring a lottery win you're not going to pay off no and the thing is it, because 40 just gets bigger every year it just dragged me down I mean you know it's like 
it was just a massive I've always owed money to people ever since I can never remember but it was always manageable and it was just a case of like you say £40,000 it wasn't a drop in the ocean it was just like my lord how on earth 12 months God strike me down dead <laughs> God forbid but actually saying that there's only one debt I couldn't get rid of like that and that was a CCJ I had one CCJ and it was my father's funeral and I was pissed when I ordered the funeral and I had the everything and everything and just didn't pay for it. So that went to a CCJ and I spoke to the solicitor of them and he halved it. I had a conversation with him and I said, look, I've explained to him about my recovery situation. I explained to him how I'm trying to rectify my wrongs of my past. Where, where, where. I asked him if he could speak to his clients and offer them half of what was owed as full and final settlement and then they agreed and that felt very very responsible and very good because I paid it off I sold my car the car was being sold anyway because I was getting another car but the money which I got from that car I paid straight to the company that I owed the money to and they wrote the rest off that felt very very good so I did well it does sold. though doesn't it because we've been so profligate mm. did you ever do the thing with the utilities bill where you'd ring them up and say the bank had made a mistake I'd cancel the direct debit, then I'd ring the company up and say, the bank's made a mistake, I'm going to have to set another one up and fob it off till the month afterwards. <laughs> Thinking, oh, that's got that one out of the way. Well, this is it, isn't it? You get yourself another month, but I remember them coming round to my house trying to get in to change it into a ticket machine. And because you know, it's by law we can come in here and do this. It's so nice not to have a mortgage over my head. I mean, don't get me wrong, a mortgage is great, but unfortunately my mortgage was keeping me locked into something as well as my drug and alcohol addiction and my job and it's just I don't thrive to have massive things these days I just want a nice comfortable life I just want peace and serenity inside yeah and honestly if I've got that the rest well naturally if you've got that it doesn't matter about anything else because if you pray for happiness and you get happiness it's not the big house and the car we realise no. it gives you the happiness is it but part of it is the reality, isn't it? It's rather than being in this fantasy land. Yeah, definitely. That I'm actually levelling the ground and I'm actually in the real world. Because if I'm not, I'm going to carry on with this. Oh, I don't need to pay that. Like these people that won't pay top up when they're in the dry house organisation. They don't pay top up because they need to buy more trainers, usually. <laughs> yeah. It's so funny that trainer thing. My brother told me about that before even coming. He goes, Everyone wears new trainers in recovery. He goes, Well, give them. And lo and behold, yeah, they do. You don't wear new trainers. You wear no. New, you wear new shoes, though. No, they're not new. These aren't new. No, I don't spend preposterous amounts of money on having several pairs of trainers. Well, I've got it strikes me as utterly illogical. I've got to be honest, I fell into that trap and I did. I've got 14 pairs of trainers in the house of which I only wear one pair of boots and every now and again I'll wear a 14 pair. 14? That's just ridiculous. But I don't wear them. I just just wear one pair. You could buy a computer for the price of those 14 pairs of trainers. I know. Right, dilemma time. One of your sponsees is lying to you about having relapsed. Do you A, ask them if anything is wrong, B, just carry on as per usual, C, tell them you know that you can't talk to them again until they get clean and sober, D, call them out in a meeting, or E, go to the pub with them? 
twins where I'm at in my own recovery club. You know, sometimes uh, these people yeah. when they're relapsing, I'm thinking, oh, but now I have heard people relapse with sponsors before. Yeah. I've heard it. It's a good dilemma, this, because I've been in this dilemma recently. Oh, right. Yeah, so a sponsor of mine had relapsed, and he'd already told me why he relapses in the past, and I was watching him doing exactly what he told me he was doing prior before he relapsed, the last time, the time before that, and my, he was going against all of my recommendations, my my suggestions, you know, I can't force people, I can only suggest, and he was going against all of those, and then he, he was like, I should know anyway. I won't go into detail, because I don't want to bring out someone's business, but and I was told by somebody else that this person had relapsed my sponsor, so I already knew. So I text him, and I says, Based on what you've told me in your past events before you relapsed, you've done exactly the same event, so have you relapsed? I just was wondering, <laughs> knowing that he had, and he sent me a picture of a hospital thing, and he'd been given three hours to live, which was quite horrifying and stuff. He was outed to all of his family, because obviously this was the final straw, and they, they wanted his family in, because he'd not got long left. and. He survived, he's still alive. So he was very, very lucky. He was taken off the machine and he was all right. Did he follow my suggestions after that? No. What was his why? His why? His why I relapsed. He's fixated on earning lots of money, workaholic, works every day, God sends. The one thing he did do was whenever I go on holiday, when I get back, I pick up. And he'd already had this holiday planned. I suggested he didn't go. He went, he came back and he picked up. But he chases money. I mean, the day he come back off the hospital bed, I thought, right, oh, we've got something really nice to work with now, because obviously, you know, all the stuff I suggested we didn't do has caused this, and so obviously the penny's gonna drop. Went to the first meeting, and I felt this person was no change whatsoever. And after the end of the meeting, it was, I've got a rush. Where are you off to? Scotland. I said, you've just come out of hospital. You nearly died. Why are you going to Scotland? I've got a job. I'm like, right, okay, so... And I hadn't spoken to him too much after that. Needs to say I'm not going to sponsor him anymore. I'm just interested in the why, because the bottom line is people drink because they want to, really. And however you dress it up, it seems like he's got a very convenient cycle, which mm. is, I'm going to work like this, I'm going to earn X thousand, mm. then I'm going on holiday, and then I'm going to reward myself yeah. with getting pissed. And the next time he probably will kill himself. But it sounds to me like you're banging your head against a brick wall. Oh, 100%. I mean, when the person knew what they were doing or didn't, I could see what was going on in their subconscious, and I don't even think they could see. Because those responses there for what you might do as a sponsor are fairly generic. What it doesn't include is the, you are powerless over what this person does. And also, you can only work with what they tell you. Of course. If they're not honest with you, you can't work with them fully. If they don't tell you the truth, you can't help them fully. And if you're presented with a sponsor that is just going through the same cycle again and again and again, then you might as well not be there. Because if you're making all the suggestions and he's just ignoring them all... Anyone sponsoring someone should just guide them. Oh, absolutely. And They've got to find their way for themselves. Look, if you go down that road there, turn left, yeah. turn right, you'll get to the place where you need to be. That's all you're there for. You can't stop someone from drinking, and you certainly no. can't stop someone from, you know, make them change their lives. They've got to be willing, and they've got to really want it. And 
I don't know that side. I don't understand what goes on through people's heads because I do know one thing when I came in. I wanted to stop and I wanted a new life and I couldn't go on with my old one and it wasn't an option. The thing is, when people want that, they work with sponsors, like they work in treatment. I mean, okay, everyone's heads up their arse while they're in treatment. Everyone's like that. However, there's a willingness. Even if they haven't found the open-mindedness yet, there's a willingness. It's like, I want to be here. No matter what happens, I'm not leaving. And that's what happened. Do you know, I was waking up in that bed every morning for the first two weeks with having panic attacks. Yeah. Because my drugs, my, what you call them, medication, obviously wasn't working before. So I was having proper panic attacks in the morning. And I remember almost feeling like, if I get in trouble and get kicked out, I'm fucked. And I was thinking, I'm staying, no matter what. And I remember sort of saying, there's 10 of you in here. It's 10% success rate. Only one of them, you're going to get it. And I thought, well, you're all fucked then, aren't you? And that's honestly what went through my head. Well, see, I've always held that one because it's generally true, that one. But I've seen cohorts where nobody makes it. Yeah. And when I think of my own cohort, mm -hmm. over a three-month period, there are five of us who've not picked up since. Really? That's good. And That's good, isn't it? Oh God, yeah. I mean, it's that's really good. But I read something recently about an evaluation of the effectiveness of AA, and they've actually done some sort of substantive research mm -hmm. that suggests it's a lot more effective than people think. Definitely, because, because even if it's giving longevity, there's a huge amount lives. of fake jiggery pokery going on on Twitter, like all the people going on about substance use disorder and about the fact that you know this is harm reduction works. And a lot of things that are just speculative, because in terms of actual recovery, there are various methods, but AA is the one that's stuck for a long time now. And there are millions of people across the globe going to AA. And I think in terms of sustaining recovery, I can't see any evidence that any other approach works. So I think it's simple, isn't it? Because it's, if you can quantify the amount of hours of sobriety AA brings, yes people relapse, but that person's life has probably got more days of sobriety than they obviously if, if AA wasn't there. Yeah. So even if they relapse or they don't relapse, they're having more time in their lives, which is sober. So if you add up the amount of hours in clean time or dry time, whatever you want to call it, dry time's not the right word. Sobriety. Sobriety. So I'm not sure what you actually call that time, which is not necessarily being sober, because you get quite a lot of people that will hang about AA for 10 years, mm. and they'll be off the booze more often than they're on it, mm. which means that actually, rather than dying five years ago, they're still around. Well, this is it, isn't it? And that still counts, um, isn't it? And I think there's a bit of a myth that AA is purely about people getting 35, 45, 55 years sober. It's not just about that. It's about the people who duck in and out because they can't quite get it. Chances are, in 35 years, there's a good chance you will accidentally have an alcoholic drink just by pure accident. Yeah. As in someone's giving you a drink or, some, or someone's forgot to make sure it's non-alcoholic or something. Do you know the guy in the curry house, he keeps doing it and he keeps, at the end he goes, Bailey's? <laughs> no. It's just like so. Go on, Liz. No, I say no, they give me jelly babies now. <laughs> a little shot of jelly babies. But if you can give somebody 20 years or 10 years of sobriety as opposed to you're just fucked anyway, then 
That's something, isn't it? I'll take that article up, actually, because it was a very interesting read. Because without a shadow of a doubt, AI has improved the lives of many alcoholics who have walked through its doors. Without it, people would be dying a lot sooner. Any form of approach to addiction, alcoholism, is going to be fallible. Mm. Because people are people. And it doesn't matter whether I'm presenting a 12-step solution, a smart solution, ABRT, harm reduction, it doesn't matter which one of them I'm presenting to this person who's drinking themselves to death. Mm. If they won't work with me, they're going to drink themselves to death anyway. Yeah, of course. If they try and work with me, but it doesn't quite gel with them, they don't quite get it, but they might sustain a nearly recovery for 10, 15 years. Mm as opposed to just being left to their own devices. Completely wasting dead soon. But no treatment plan is necessarily going to work on everybody. There is no way of doing that. I mean, you could even go as far as saying that what some of these people that say, you know, drink less will, will teach you to drink less. If someone's willing to do that, then that could help somebody, couldn't it? Yeah. But, you know, we know the, the nature of the disease itself. Two drinks, you're gone, and you're one drink, and you can't. Stop. <laughs> you can't stop after one drink. It's Indeed, it's illegal. It's illegal to stop after. One Amateurs drink. stop after one drink. I just couldn't do. Lightweight it. stop I after have one started, drink. I have put an alcoholic drink in my system, and I only drink to get drunk. I don't drink because I like the taste of the liquid. In fact, more often than not, I think it's foul. So I've had a glass of coke if it was just purely just to drink something out of a glass. When I drink alcohol, what that cider is like, white lightning, you know, all of that. When I think of what it actually tastes like, it's chemical, it's vile. They put it in the green bottle, didn't they? But the actual liquid was white. If you were mad enough to pour it out, you actually looked at it and it looked like it belonged in a <laughs> chemical lab. But I used to pour it out when I used to go to events, you see, because I didn't want to keep running up the bar. So, what I would do is I'd sneak my bottle yeah. and tip it into the glass and someone said to me once what's that that's not fucking cider in there i'd even managed to convince he was a wedding. battery acid the people that was around on the table that was was a little bit wayward is that what word yes there was a couple of cokeheads and there was a piece head they knew i was a piece of and i was filling it up and they were like that's what's that it's not cider because he is well we've done it again ronnie really we're out of time I forgot to mention it today, but I think what we ought to talk about next week is this training you did about the government solution. Do you know what I just thought? I'm, I'm, yeah. I want to do that next week. We need a whole episode. Yeah, we need a whole episode because on that. So we'll do I, that I remembered week. that about 10 minutes ago. I thought, no, yeah. we haven't got time for that. We'll do it next week. Right, if anything has resonated with you concerning yourself or someone you know, or your next door to neighbours, cats, ex-owners, tennis partner, or anyone that lives in your street or in the vicinity of your street, or that you might have met at a train station, that you might vaguely know or not know. If any of this has resonated, for whatever reason, because it's not just alcoholics and addicts that are affected by it, it's everyone. If it has, then do seek help, or do find someone to talk to. There are plenty of things on Google, there are plenty of phone numbers out there, and not all of them cost money. Recovery is always there. So wishing you all the best. Have a lovely weekend. And we will be back next week. And it's good night for me. And good night for me.